If you're interested in long-term real estate investing success, not just talking three, five, seven, 10 years, I'm talking 15, 20 plus years. If you're interested in going the distance, pay attention to this upcoming podcast. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing well. So I sure hope I got your attention with the opening to today's podcast, which is actually kind of uh, a backdrop to this first part of this message that I want to share with you. You know, I'm, I'm often, I'm often, geez, my voice is changing here. I'm actually recording this very early in the morning because, you know, the show must go on and sometimes you just need to record when you just need to record. You know, Here's the story I want to share with you in some context is I'm often torn a lot with, you know, putting out what I would call a clickbaity type headline. For example, this is, you see, you would see this, you know, $400 million made in only 90 minutes or 30 seconds a day. And you too can make $400 million. You know, I'm going way over the top here. As you can tell, that would be like a clickbaity type of headline to a video or a podcast episode. And, you know, here's where I'm torn, is I'm torn about putting that kind of message out to, you know, to get the eyeballs and get the people to, to at least, you got to get people to click on something to at least watch it. Versus telling the real life story. Like the real life story is not as glamorous and is not as pretty as most people portray. Most people will portray the end result. Most people will portray um, the results without the fear in the greatest short in the shortest period of time. That's what people, most people will portray. And I'm pretty sure if you've been following along on my channel, I like to try to do it a little bit differently. I like to, you know, 100%, I'm going to inspire you to show you what is possible, to show you what is the end result that can be done. But I've also made a very conscious effort to go the extra mile to show you that it isn't all unicorns and rainbows and butterfly farts and all that kind of stuff. It is hard work. There are long days. There are some challenging times and there are some failures and there are some things that you just have to overcome in order to get the end result. And what I do is I like to show a balanced approach. I will show you and just demonstrate with you for you the end result, but I also will not sugarcoat the process. And as my in my personal opinion, the process and the journey is so much more important than the end result. You know, at the end of the day, if you build a portfolio of 100, 200, 3,000 properties like my my good friend Dave Steele in an upcoming episode. I don't even know if it's an upcoming episode or if it's one that's already been done uh, where they share their results. But I had a, you know, when you dive into the backstory a lot more with people, there is the challenges, there is the heartache, there is, um, you know, having to overcome, you know, sleepless nights and pulling your hair out and all those kind of wonderful things. So, so the point I'm trying to get to is to set up this next podcast episode is um, I had a wonderful opportunity to be a guest on Andrew Hines' podcast. Andrew is a fantastic podcast host. I think he's, you know, one of the top podcasts in the Canadian real estate space. I think you can probably just find it on the Andrew Hines, H-I-N-E. 
E-S. I think it's just, if you Google his name, you will definitely find his podcast. So in this episode, we dive into some quote-unquote failures. We dive into some really um, sticky situations, and we dive into some properties that did not were not pro- but we're not profitable. Uh, we dove into special assessments. We dove into the challenging times that you have to overcome. So I'm a firm believer in, you know, educating people on the good, but also the bad and the ugly, because then you will be, you know, we're all adults here and you will be a more informed real estate investor. If you know the complete story of what you're getting into, as opposed to only making the $400 million in 90 minutes. Okay. You need to hear all sides of the story. Okay. So um, I share a lot of that story about some challenging times. Also share some of the upcoming projects they're doing, um, share some things investing in the Edmonton marketplace. Um, interesting to note within my podcast, the most popular episodes were ones that I have with my um, with my business partner, Jason Mattern, about long-term or long distance investing, and also why Edmonton, why now? Firmly believe Edmonton is an up and coming marketplace. And um, we're going to be putting more resources together about why it is so and why I think most Canadian real estate investors need to dive into the Edmonton marketplace on a bigger uh, scale. But We'll save all that for another edition. So, Andrew, Andrew Hines, I, I don't know if you're going to listen to this one or not. I just wanted to just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity of being a, a guest on your podcast. You did a fantastic job, and you're doing a fantastic job providing a safe place for real estate investors in Canada to get really good information. Okay, guys, let's dive right into it. Uh, please help me welcome Mr. Andrew Hines. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Russell Westcott on the show, a long overdue episode together. So Russell, thanks for taking the time. Hey, Andrew, how's it going today? Um, so it is long overdue, but and I know we're going to have a lot to catch up and we got a great conversation here, but I just wanted to just offer you a little bit of congratulations, a little bit of congratulations for putting together this wonderful podcast. You know what, when I got started, I wish there was a resource like what you were doing on a weekly basis to inspire people to take action. So I just wanted to just give you some, give you some props and just tell you, you're doing a really good job. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, I know you had tagged me on Facebook. I wasn't aware if you're, you're listening or not, but uh, you know, that's, that's great. I really appreciate this. Well, it was funny. I was just this morning, I was catching up uh, one of your, your last interviews with Lynn, Lynn LeBeau. She's yeah. one of our inner circle clients and um, just great catching up with her. And she's got such a wonderful story, just such a fantastic, yeah. fantastic lady. And you have such amazing guests on your podcast. I, I hope I can do, I hope I can do justice here today. <laughs> well, you're a big name, Russell. I'm, I'm sure you will. Um, you know, I, I've heard, I've heard your name thrown around so much. I know you do talks. Um, you're speaking at the right club. Unfortunately, I missed that. Um, but uh, I'd love it if you could tell me and our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself. Oh, you know, it's, it's interesting. The hardest question you ever can get to ask is, so tell me about yourself, right? So um, I'll try to make a long story mercifully short. Um, my, and I'll, I'll do it within the context of real estate here as well. Um, my real estate investing journey started right around, you know, I, I joke it started around the turn of the century, right around year 2000. And um, 
And it's it's interesting to say is not a lot of people have been in around this game for you know more than twenty years. And um, my journey started with a birthday, and it started with a birthday with a zero at the end of it, and it was my thirtieth birthday in the year two thousand, and uh, a self-diagnosed Peter Pan syndrome that I just never ever wanted to grow up. And I decided, you know, what was I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, at, thir- at the ripe age of 30, like I'm getting older, right? Just, you know, it's, it's, you know, what am I going to do? Took a look around and, and a really good person recommended a book to me. And, you know, like most light bulb inception moments, a lot of books are those inception moments. And as you can see over my shoulder here, books are a very big part of my world, of my education. Mm-hmm. And that was right around the time when Rich Dad, Poor Dad came into my world and Robert Kiyosaki. And I have a feeling that little purple book has been one of the starting kickstarters for most entrepreneurs out there. So I got uh, inspired into this whole world of um, entrepreneurship. And first step I did was I reached out to my financial planner, which was a mutual fund salesman. And, uh, you know, we just had wonderful conversations. We played the cash flow game. He just shared with me a, a little bit a different way of looking at things, which then led into reading Real Estate Riches with Dolph DeRuz of the Rich Dad series. Now, at that time in 2000, um, I was a basement suite renter with a roommate. I had never bought a property in my life. I actually grew up in small town Saskatchewan, and for the first 15, 16 years of my life, I lived in a, in a mobile home, in a, in a trailer, deals on wheels. And uh, so I had no experience with real estate. I had never even written an offer. I did nothing about that, but something about real estate just excited me. I then went and found a workshop that I went to. That's where I met Don Campbell for the first time. And Don Campbell is just an amazing icon, the, the OG if you will, of yeah. real estate investing in Canada. Um, I just fell in love with the concept of real estate. I became a member of the Real Estate Investment Network. I actually became their vice president of the Real Estate Investment Network. I was buying properties, you know, every year. I would keep adding properties to my portfolio. There was a time for about five years. I added a property a month for more than five years. I've transacted over 100 places. And right up to this day, um, I'm still active in my real estate portfolio. I'm active in my business and I'm still acquiring properties that I will add about five or six places a year to my portfolio. A couple million bucks every year I'll add to my portfolio, just slowly under the radar. And I'm actually negotiating right now on a pocket of six brand new construction suite at homes that we're going to build, pre-spec, pre-build. And everything I teach is everything I do. So... Hopefully that was quick enough. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's, no, that's great. It's hard to capsulate 20 years into a, yeah. into a real short period of time. Well, yeah, from what I gathered beforehand, you were, you were very well experienced. And uh, as you've summarized, that that's very much the case. So um, just looking at your typical transaction, you said that you're kind of under the radar. And how do you mean it's under the radar? What type of places are you buying typically now? And uh, what are you doing to them? Well, when I say under the radar, um, I mean, let me just reframe that. And within the context, I mean, is I actually don't, I probably should take my own coaching here a little bit, is I actually don't publicly share a lot of the real estate transactions I mm-hmm. do online. I'm actually 
part of my business is actually helping other people. And I think I will do more of a service by helping others accomplish their goals than by just telling people what I do. Because at the end of the day, most people who sit there and watch and go, oh, it's great. They're buying a place and bought another place and 200 places over here. That's wonderful. But how can you help me? So Mm -hmm. I'm more interested in sharing other people's stories. I'm more interested in sharing solutions to this, not just putting out what I do on on the social media airways. I would much rather share a solution to a challenge that somebody has have as opposed to just broadcast my story. Okay, so to to succinctly answer that question you asked is um, in target market I have is Edmonton, Alberta. It's when I started investing, where I bought my first place back in 2002, and I've been invested there ever since. And lately, I've pivoted my investment opportunities into new construction homes, into suited properties, side-by-side duplexes, fourplexes, sixplexes, eightplexes, all brand new construction. And still in Edmonton? Like still to this day, everything? Everything's in Edmonton or Northern Alberta, different places. I've mm-hmm. t- uh, toyed a few uh, investment opportunities in Interior BC and Vernon, um, did a couple uh, projects in the lower mainland of BC, but everything's been um, either in Alberta or, or, or British Columbia. Okay. Uh, do you know Corey and Tiffany Young? Yep, know them very well. Okay. I've heard them speak a bunch of times. Um, I was always hoping to get somebody uh, on the podcast that was investing in Edmonton. So that's great. I'm going to have tons of questions for you. Well, I'll tell you what, Edmonton, and this is just my own personal opinion, is going to be in a few years from now, people will be wishing that they had invested in Edmonton right now. And that's that's yeah. that's my personal opinion. So, so tell me why. Well, I, I think it's a, it's Okay. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. But number one is the, the peak house price in Edmonton was about 12 years ago, where that was the peak wow. house price. So the housing market in Edmonton has been either flat or actually declined for since probably 2007, 2008. Okay. So a market cannot keep going up in value forever and a market can't keep going flat forever. Um, I firmly believe that the the numbers are starting to align for the rent ratios, the price points, the uh, inventory positions, the pipelines that have been announced that are starting to be built, the employment numbers. You know, everybody has their opinion about energy and everybody has their opinion about oil and gas. But the bottom line is we still need energy to operate our cars and operate our houses and heat our properties and all this kind of stuff. And we need to have a good, safe, reliable energy source. And the best place in that in Canada is in Alberta. And Mm -hmm. for the last decade the energy sector and in Alberta has been, I would say they've been beat down enough and they've pivoted enough that they are now um, changing and evolving. And they're not just oil and gas, they're now energy providers and technology plus also the oil and gas. So there is a lot going on. And, you know, Andrew, the, I just think the numbers make sense there too. Like, Yeah. And, and that's something we're definitely going to dig into. But I mean, my understanding just from talking to Corey and Tiffany is that you go up and you go down like rental rates uh, are unlike other markets that I've, I've really uh, been familiar with in that I've heard that Edmonton, you could have a swing over a couple of years of $400 higher or lower, um, depending on how oil and gas is doing at the time or, or some other market factors has been that, or sorry, has that been your experience or, or is that just an isolated story I heard? No, it's it 100%. There was times in the heyday 
um, that I was getting probably four to six hundred dollars more in rent per unit. Okay. Now, interesting to note, it's a it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. In Alberta, they don't have rent controls. Okay. So the market fluctuates yeah. based upon the market. So some people go, Oh, you're so lucky you don't have rent controls. Well, I don't know in a rent control marketplace that has gone down that I'm aware of. And typically in rent controlled marketplaces, the rents are higher than non rent control marketplaces where mm-hmm. free market economy um, rules the day. But the one thing in Alberta is they do have, they definitely have the most friendliest uh, landlord and tenant laws for the landlord. Like, and I'll just give you an example. At the end of a term lease, Andrew, in Alberta, it's the landlord's choice if you want to renew or not. It's oh, not, so it's not the tenant's choice. Them right out. If, let's put it this way. You, know, you wouldn't want to do business that way and give them no notice, yeah. but it is the landlord's choice at the end of the term if they want to renew or not. The tenant doesn't have a mm-hmm. choice. Yeah, and I have, I have mixed feelings on that because, you know... There, you know, the rent strike thing that's going on right now and people, have, you know, people are basically, you know, making villainizing landlords. Uh, some people, of course, not all. Um, there is a certain sense of entitlement, it seems, among certain groups of, of tenants. So um, that what you're describing more just sounds like a balance of power, because if they're good tenants, why would you not want to well, keep them? That's, isn't that that's that's business friendly. And, and I would. Yeah, not. exactly. Here's the thing. At the end of a term. If they're a good tenant, I 100% would want to put them on Mm. another lease, another term lease. And if they're a bad tenant, then I don't want to renew, right? It's just that I just have more choice. I don't have to automatically um, roll them over into month to month. So I'm sure you've had, uh, you know, you're well experienced. I'm sure you've had a couple of instances where you had people you didn't want to renew. Uh, Is that just like call the sheriff and get them out of there if if you need to, or they usually just leave? Well, the good news is, uh, as you do have, if you know, that's one of the business policies we have is every tenant is on a, a fixed term lease. Even if they, even if let's say their term ends and they say, well, you know, we only want to rent one more month. No problem. We'll just, you know, what we'll do is we'll sign them up on a one month lease. And then mm-hmm. if they want to renew, we'll just renew one month at a time. But we have a fixed term lease on every tenancy we have. Right. So okay. at a worst case scenario is you will only be as far out as the term of your lease is be, that you can potentially evict a tenant. OK, so that actually I mean, from a landlord standpoint, it sounds pretty good. Now, the the, the concern I have, and I'm sure you felt it um, through all of this. Have you seen your rents go down in any way or is it more just been some of your purchase or some of your values? Have they come down through the, the whole lockdown? Well, here's the thing. Um, now, there's some, There's a lot of a conversation we could unpack there um, all on its own. I'm pleasantly surprised on what has actually happened since the, the lockdown. And I think most people are probably in the same boat. Now, here, here's my quick take on this. When everything started happening and unraveling and, you know, announce of this pandemic word and all this kind of stuff, Um, I started having, um, I started rounding up the wagons and defense first before offense. And, and at that time I had to take my business plan. I hadn't threw it out the window and I started over and I started over by building three business plans. I built a good plan, a bad plan and an ugly plan. And I've been executing against all three of those plans ever since. Now, some people go, well, you know, which one's it going to be, Russ? I, I can't I can't answer that. I honestly, if anybody asks me what's going to happen in the marketplace, I don't know. And if anybody knows what's going to happen 
I think they're speculating at best. Mm -hmm. So it's either exactly. going to be good, it's going to be bad, or it's going to be downright ugly. And I'm doing something on all three of those. For example, if a market turns ugly, I'm already in the background building websites to attract distressed sellers. I'm refreshed on all my um, buying properties, taking over properties with agreements for sales and vendor takebacks and seller financing strategies. I've got all those things there, and I'm actually starting to – I'll have an implementation plan – to uh, attract distressed sellers if it turns downright ugly. If the market is going to be bad, which I term a market bad, would be just a slow nothing for years and years and years. And what I'm doing is I'm selling off some of my old underperforming properties or renovating back up and I'm turning them into new construction properties, lower maintenance, better tenant profile, easier to maintain, under warranty, and I'm, I'm changing that portfolio. If it's going to be a good market, which if I was to be totally honest, I think the market has actually been extremely strong, stronger than I would have ever thought. Um, but who knows what the future will take. If it's going to be a good market, it's just the same plan I had in, in January of 2020 and just start executing against that. So I could go on and on about those right there, but I just wanted to just provide yeah. value for your audience that there are three outcomes and I'm taking action on all three. And I, well, I think that there's something people can take from that in any market, no matter where you are, is, is that uh, you got to be watching what's going on and you should have a plan A, B, and C, which is more or less what you've just described. Hey, yeah. if things stay good, we keep going, but we have a plan B, we have a plan C. And, and, and I've been around the block long enough to know that the market isn't going to determine whether I succeed or not. I'm in yeah. full control of the, how I'm going to react and the tactic that I use in the market. I'm going to do whatever the market provides me is what I'm going to do, okay? The market doesn't dictate to me what, uh, how, if I'm going to succeed or not. Now, there are markets that are easier than others, and there are markets that might have less challenging times or less struggle, but at the end of the day, it's your resourcefulness, not your resources, and it's not the market mm -hmm. that makes the difference. Okay. And I, I absolutely agree because it, where there's a will, there's a way that that expression obviously comes from something and clearly you have the will to make it work. Um, just in terms of factually, because I have not been following it, has there been an overall decrease in average sale price in Edmonton? No, that's actually gone up. It's gone up. Wow. Because yeah. I know, okay, so just Mar this is when anecdotal. When I say gone up, like we're talking marginally. Marginally. So, so anecdotally, I know many people that were like friends of mine in high school that moved out to, to Alberta that have now left uh, in, in recent history, um, which I think what you're saying is it makes it an opportunity. Um, yep. I would have just thought you would have seen potentially some some decrease in value. Have you seen rents uh, affected at all by this? I, I have not on my portfolio. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, some of the clients and some of my coaching clients have seen rent increases, very marginal rent increase, but right. it's nothing like what on what you guys are seeing out in Ontario. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have my opinion a little bit about what's going on in Ontario too, of being somebody who's been through, uh, uh, an, my personal opinion, an unsustainable boom. Like we had Mark, we had years where we were 35% growth and 53% growth uh, year over year. And that isn't sustainable. Yeah. So when did that happen for you? Like you, I think you said 2007. And I remember that because my brother owned in Edmonton at that time and, and, uh, you know, had these awesome values and then it went down and he was obviously a little disappointed. Yeah. I, um, I, I actually doubled my portfolio in 2007 and 2008. 
at the absolute worst possible time to, to add all those properties to my portfolio. And in some cases, those properties 13, 12, 13 years later are not what I paid for them 12, 13 years later. Are they cash flowing? They, yes, that's the only reason they could hang on to it. <laughs> well, hang on. Some of them, some of them, it's it, they're challenging. They're they're challenges um, because you know when a tenant moves out and you know maybe you have a thirty five hundred, thirty six hundred dollar repair bill, you know, to, you know, carpet and paints and all that kind of stuff. It it's cash flow gets really really tight on those properties. Yeah, I can imagine it, it would. And then of course you've got the, uh, the volatility there because there is a little bit more volatility in, in Edmonton. It could go up, could go down. Um, it's, uh, I, I'm guessing that, yeah, you've, you've got a few that you, you wouldn't, uh, necessarily have made that choice if you had had the foresight to know what was going to happen. But of course you've balanced it out with probably a, a lot of good cash flowing properties well, since. Yes. And, and there was also, there's a lot of bad ones in there too. And some of them I can't, I can't sell for you know, and to, to get what back, what I put in and some of them mortgage balances are higher. There's a lot of, so people, they're underwater. Some okay. of them are absolutely. And some, a lot of investors at that time of during the heyday refinanced their portfolios, sucked all that equity out and the, they can't sell it for mortgage balance today. Right. Mm. And I, you know, a- not to tell too many horror stories here, but I did have more <laughs> hair when I got started I had a portfolio of nine properties that um, I bought, you know, anywhere between eighty-eight and one hundred twenty-two thousand dollars a door townhomes, and people are going, okay. "Oh, you're so lucky, Russ, that you paid those prices." Okay, so I bought them, um, held them, so that would have been two thousand three, four, and five. Um, held them. We got hit with a thirty-eight to forty-two thousand dollars special assessment across them, and I had nine of them. Okay, you can put that in your calculator. Okay, special assessment uh, from uh, condo. Correct. They, they how how did that happen? Yeah, did their insurance policy lapse and something it, bad happened? It happened. It, it's you know I can get into all the stories of of how it happened and why it happened, but it happened. And um, so what happens when you have those kind of special assessments? is that people will probably panic sell. People will sell them. People, Some people walk away. Um, some people won't pay them. Some people go into foreclosure. Some people, so it, it keeps the value down. So I held some of those properties, bought them in 2002, three, and four, sold them in 2015, 16, and 17 for almost the same value I bought them for. And wow. on top of that, I had to take a huge loss because I had to pay for that assessment. Out of it. So, so $360,000 assessment across roughly, yeah. if it's 40,000 on average per unit. Yeah. Wow. That's ugly. Is there, is there something people who are condo buyers can avoid or look out for to avoid well, having that happen to them? Here's the thing is, um, I did all, I thought I did all the homework. I had the condo reserve fund studies. I did all that diligence that I thought was proper at that time. And it just so happened it, it happened. I know I probably should have known better, but at the time when I bought them, you know, who, who knew, right? But as a matter yeah. of fact, at the same time, that's one of the probably, you know, a lot of people sit there and go, well, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't, you know, if I was to look back at that, on those places that I bought at 88 to 120 a door on those ones, they were selling at a peak at 230 to 274 at a peak. If I would have 
talk to myself back then, if I had a time machine to go back, I would have told myself to sell them at that time. Yeah. Right. But you know, hindsight is 2020 always. And at that time in the marketplace and, and I'm, Sorry, I'm not trying to freak anybody out at all of this kind of stuff. Oh, I've I'm already just, done that telling my story. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm just sharing with you what I've yeah. gone through. Now, you do your own research in your own market. All I'm doing is telling you a story of somebody who's been through this. When I start seeing markets where people are teaching you how to win multiple offers and things are going $100,000 you know, hundreds, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars over list, and lots of people out there touting about how to win multiple offer bidding wars. And somebody buys a place and they put a little bit of lipstick and paint on it. And the week after they list it and they get a multiple offer, another fifty thousand, and they make one hundred fifty thousand dollars in a week's time. When I start seeing those kind of things, um, I've been there. I've been in those marketplaces, guys. Now. Don't get me wrong, you do what you need to do, but what you might want to do is you may want to pull some chips off the table. It would be a really good opportunity maybe to sell some properties or reevaluate if you can hang on to those properties if it does slow down. That'd be my best advice. And that's very, very wise. And I got to say, I think the same way because I've been in places where I didn't have good plan B, good plan C, and I know how much it hurts, especially to own something that you've got more into it than it's worth. Um, you know, that those are ugly positions to be in. And the things that have happened to me in the horror show of my uh, 20s of getting started in, in real estate investing um, taught me to never sacrifice cash flow. And, and you've always got to have cash flow for exactly what you're describing. You're the perfect example of why I say that because your market could go down. We've seen a, a boom for an unprecedented amount of time. Yep. And uh, it, it's got to slow down, at very least slow down and probably correct at some point. Yep. And um, I personally think Toronto proper is going to, to feel that first. And well, uh, there's, there's maybe a very, that's even coming. You know, there's a very cute saying out there right now, and I 100% firmly believe in it. It's not timing the market, it's time in the market. I think Scott McGilvery said that. Now, 100%, I agree with Scott. It's about time in the market. The longer they're in the market, the better. So that's number one. But those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like, seriously, you, you, why can't you buy at a good time and have good time in the market at the same time? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, somebody who bought in Alberta in 2005 versus somebody who bought in Alberta in 2007, we're only talking a two-year spread. Those two people, the someone who bought in 2005 versus someone who bought in 2007, those two people have completely different decisions and, and different um, scenarios and outcomes. And we're only talking a 24-month period. Mm -hmm. Like one person sitting there going, I can't sell my house because it might be underwater and I can't get back what I paid for it. The person who bought 2005 saying, you know what? I, yeah, it's not what it was and it peaked, but you know what? I can still sell it. And because I paid a good price for it, I can still get out of it and lower my price and move on. And actually I made some money on it. Just not as much as I wanted, but I can still move on. Yeah. And, and, uh, I don't think a lot of people who haven't been in this long, uh, you know, most people getting started, right. They, they haven't experienced it on their home or at least, you know, it's, things have been so good for so many people. Um, maybe I was fortunate enough that whole thing wouldn't change anything. I think a lot of people say that because they learn from it. And I suppose I, I say it the same way you do. I'm like, I don't know if I want to say I wouldn't change. Cause if I could, un, if I could have not gone through some of that pain, it sure would have been oh, nice. It, but, uh, 
But at the end of the day, we can't cry over the spilled milk. Yeah. We can go, well, as an early mentor once said, is don't cry over spilled milk, just go milk another cow. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about how much it shaped you as an investor to have gone through that. And then just, it made you probably so much more careful than anybody who had been told that lesson, right? Well, you could have been told that lesson, but to have gone through it, the way that that's internalized makes you a whole different kind of investor. Yeah. I, I could, I now I'm, I'm a better coach because of that. I'm a better mentor. I can advise people a little bit better because I've been through it. Right. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a resident of the land. I'm not a tourist of that land. Like I understand. And I have an empathy when somebody comes to me and they're having a conversation about this property's upside down and this has lost some money. And I, you know, I may have to sell my house and all this kind of stuff. I have empathy because I've been through that. I know what it's like to sit there and face a three hundred to $400,000 cash call. And what the heck do I do when I get that mm-hmm. notice? And I'll tell you, the first thing I did was I cried. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'm sure I've, I've had a few moments. That I, I, I remember just having an absolute mental breakdown when I pretty much got told that uh, the property I had bought in the States was just worth nothing. And I was going to have to pay to get rid of it. That was basically, so not only had I lost my investment, but now I was going to have to pay to get rid of it. I had to bring bring checks to the closing table to sell a property too. To get rid of it. Yeah. (laughs) But, but at the end of the day, here's what happened was once I cut that, you know, and I'm trying not to make light of anybody. If, if there's ever been cancer in anybody's family, I'm not making light of that, but I had to cut a tumor out of the portfolio. And once that tumor was gone after the, you know, healing and, and forgiving myself for making a bad decision, um, it created space for something new to come into the picture. It created a new space for a new business opportunity. It created space for new partners to come in. It created new space for a, a different way of looking at real estate. And, and you know what, I'm not embarrassed to say that, you know, after 20 years of this business, um, I feel like I'm just getting started and I'm just getting going because I look at how much more I have to create, how much more I have to give. And I've just touched the tip of the iceberg after 20 years. Wow. That's, I uh, wasn't expecting that. No, it's, it's I've uh, just got started. Honest to goodness. I, I can definitely relate to what you're saying though, because when I, in that moment I told you about when I finally accepted that it was done and I just handled it, got rid of the property, you know, took the loss. I felt free. I'm like, okay, I've, I've finally moved on and now I can actually go do something better. And now I can focus on making up for this and and winning, winning rather than trying to not to lose. Now, Andrew, now imagine this for a second. Now I'm not trying to one up the pain of this, but but just imagine you made that mistake and um, you identify part of your identity is teaching others how to be successful in real estate. You're standing on a stage mm-hmm. in front of 400 people and you've lost money, right? And you've made some, stepped on some landmines and you've made some bad deals, okay? It was a, I had a, a very existential um, uh, coming to moment at that time about what I was teaching and what I was sharing and, and how authentic I was becoming and coming across. At one time you're putting out there that you're trying to be the success and at the same time you're hurting, like, and you're struggling and you have some challenging properties and you have some, and, and you're teaching this stuff, right? You're not supposed to make mistakes. You teach this stuff, right? So it was a, it was a hard, it was a hard lesson to learn. And, and the biggest thing was a little bit of the ego, a little bit of, um, you know, the fear of looking bad, but the, the step that started everything was I had to forgive myself, and once I forgive myself 
for making those mistakes. It freed me up to be able to share those with other people. And I've actually been sharing the challenging times more than I have with the good times, because I think we can learn more from the struggle and the challenge than we can from people telling the 700 properties they bought or everything's going well and, you know, unicorns and rainbows and all that kind of stuff. I think we can learn more from the challenge and the struggle. I, yeah. And I absolutely agree because when, when things go right, let's face it. I mean, here in Ontario, it doesn't, it hasn't taken much for to win, like even very, very um, unsophisticated people who've made huge mistakes have made a lot of money because the market forgave them. The market made it okay um, to have actually lost. And I had a guy on not too long ago, uh, Rob Chopra. Yeah, he told you know the story. His first flip, uh, I think he said he lost sixty thousand dollars. But before the dust had even settled, he was into the next one. Um, what he learned from that is tuition. Yep. It's tuition towards success. And I think, um, I don't know, like, do you, do you see it? Uh, I mean, I guess they say you can either, uh, you can either make the mistakes or you can pay a coach and, you know, kind of pay for them to have made the mistakes. Um, well, is that sort of how you see it and and what you kind of put out there to your, your coaching students? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I, I will emphasize to my coaching clients very much is I, I'm more interested in who you become as a person in the process and not the end result as, as per se. And, and here's, and I'll just, maybe I'll share a story. So, um, had this young fellow came to me when I first met him, he was, he literally was broken. He had a broken knee and he was playing ball hockey at the time, broke his knee and he was on crutches and hobbling and he came up and he was just broken. And we had this conversation and he had 11 properties at the time. And so in all rates, a successful real estate investor, um, young guy, we started a, a coaching process. We went through it over two year time frame, and I saw him flourish and I saw him grow. And I saw it, first of all, his portfolio went from 11 units to just under 50 and it's still growing. He's buying apartment buildings now. And, but more importantly, who he became in the process, he became a better dad. He became a better business owner, became a better husband. He became um, somebody who can delegate things to other people. He, he was became a person of a leader of a team. And now he's out giving back and he created a new podcast in the world of uh, veterinary medicine. And he's helping vets where he used to be a veterinary, a doctor of veterinary medicine. And now he's helping um, veterinarians transition over their career. So he's giving back in other ways. It's not a, a lot of my coaching clients come to me about wanting the real estate tactics, but they end up leaving a better person and they end up leaving. Uh, it's a lot of the personal development to become successful in real estate. You become a better person in the process. Okay. So you're focusing a lot on, on the actual mindset first, well, not the strategies. Interesting to note is I, I focus 100% on the tactics and the strategies first, because that's what everybody thinks they need. And then we we're very clear on the time. Like when I sit down with a new coaching client, we get crystal clear in what the deliverables are, but I also take a I take a deeper look into what does all this mean? Okay. So now you've left your job as a realtor and you want to sail around the world and you want to do that. Now, how do we get that? Now, what is the deeper meaning behind that on how to get there is really mm -hmm. it that comes after we get crystal clear on what the deliverables of, of the goals and the tactics. And then we take a deeper dive. 
So you're talking about dissecting what they would need to do, how many properties, how, what level of success they would need to achieve to get to their goal. I get, I actually get right down to uh, what are you doing today? What are the five things you are doing today that will add up to your four biggest priorities, which will lead to your top quarterly goals, which will lead up to your one year, three year and five year targets. And I will have, if, if somebody's feeling stuck when my coaching clients are feeling stuck, they have to text me every single day what they're doing that day to get them closer to their priorities, to their goals and that. And then the next day at the same time, they have to text me what they did yesterday and what they're doing today if they're feeling stuck. Because I firmly believe that once we know where we're going, it comes right down to are you executing on a day-by-day basis? And I actually will walk a lot of my coaching clients through, like seriously, like let me look at your calendar. What is on your calendar today that's going to get you closer? And when I look at it, and if I don't see things that are lining up with your priorities to your goals, get rid of it. That's got to, you got to find a way to get rid of it. Everything you need to do, these five things that need to add up to winning the day to your priorities. So mm-hmm. we get, we get really tactical. We get really, really detailed in the focus. And I take a very uh, personal involvement into with the coaching clients that I work with. And I only work with five people at a time and that's it. That makes sense. Yeah. There's only so much time in the day, right? To, well, to focus your I, energy. I can't, I can't put it. I would be doing a disservice to the, to the client if, yeah. if, if, if I couldn't focus that kind of time and energy and some of my clients, they have me on their, their text message and speed dial. And if they need a nine one one phone call, we have that call and we, we will walk through things. I have two of my clients right now that are looking to buy three apartment buildings. I think there's 21 units between the three of them and I'm on speed dial and we're walking through the negotiations with them right now. Mm-hmm. So What's, uh, what's your end game? I mean, I know I, you obviously seem to get enjoyment out of this. I mean, what keeps you buying real estate? What goals are you working towards? You know, I just love, I love the game of real estate. Um, and first of all, great question. Um, so, so if you remember the story I told at the beginning about how I got started, it was a 30th birthday that mm-hmm. the one with the end of, with a zero at the end. And I sat down and I had one of those moments of well, what am I going to do? I had another one of those birthdays with a zero at the end of it. Um, This past year in January, I had my 50th birthday, okay? And I sat down and I go, I I had a really hard look at what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And if I was, I was brutally honest with myself at that time. And I, I believe I played small for the last 20 years. I believe I did not contribute enough. I did not help enough people. I did not inspire enough people to help them move forward. I did not coach enough people. I did not get my message out to a wider audience. And so after I kind of beat myself up a little bit and I said, okay, well, what are you going to do? So I sat down and I re-envisioned what the next 20 years will look like. And I wrote down a new mission. And my new mission is to inspire 1 million real estate investors with the tools and resources to help you buy one more property by the year 2035. And that scared the crap out of me when I wrote that down. And you inspire 1 million people to buy one more property one by more, 2035? With the, with the tools and resources to buy one more property by the year 2035. Now, and there's an operative thing of one more property. Now, let mm-hmm. me, do you, have, do you mind if I do a little... Uh, exercise it with you here, Andrew? Please do. Okay. So I have a term called one more property. Um, t- tell me about the last place that you bought, Andrew, rental property, cash flow rental property. Tell me about the last place you bought. Uh, it's a 
bungalow. Um, okay, so we'll leave the uh, little what wholesale you, okay, deal. Okay, what did you pay for it? I paid two sixty five. Two sixty five. Okay. What is your um, what is your gross rent on that place? I just increases. It's about uh, thirty six fifty. Thirty six fifty. Okay. So if you had that place, let's say in fifteen years from now, that place was free and clear. Okay. okay. Tenants paid off. Um, market didn't appreciate one dollar in 15 years and you had some acceleration strategy, it looks like you probably have some good cash flow there in that property. Maybe you had Oh, I renovated stuff. it. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, left that part out. Okay, so, <laughs> so let's say 15 years from now, the property did not go up in value, but the tenants yeah. paid it off and you had some acceleration strategy that was free and clear, okay? Mm-hmm. You just created a $265,000 pension plan fund, yeah. okay? 3650, if you had a 40% operating expense ratio, times 0.6 yeah. is 21.90 times 12. You just created a $27,000 a year income stream. Oh yeah. Okay. So you have a $265,000 pension that creates $27,000 a year for you when that property is free and clear. Now mm-hmm. to you, if I was able to give you a tool or a resource or an inspiration or a kick in the butt to help you buy one more place. Okay. That to you in 15 years is worth a quarter of a million and $27,000 a year. Yeah, that's huge. And you know what? I I actually say something very similar. So I'll give you mine now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I say, if you own one property today that that you buy with a 30-year mortgage in 30 years here in Ontario, reasonably, you could expect that property will probably be worth a million dollars. That one property just made you a millionaire in 30 years. But I actually, I just take it back and I just say, what if it doesn't have any appreciation? Right, right. Yeah. So in Ontario, we're just so, so yep. freaking used to it. I, I kind of figure in 30 years, just with inflation, the way it's going, yep. we'll, we'll get there. But I now, mean, again, no one has that crystal ball. Now, if you actually just factor in a little 3% growth factor into there, the mm-hmm. numbers get ridiculous. Right. So, so, oh, yeah. so to, so what it, so my inspiration is to inspire a million people with the tools yeah. and resources to buy one more place. Right now, mm-hmm. and it stems from the two biggest regrets people have when it comes to real estate. Regret number one is that they didn't start soon enough. And regret number two is they didn't acquire enough. Okay. Now, unfortunately, I can't go back in time to get you 20 years ago, but I can start today. And what I can do is I can give you a tool or a resource to help you overcome some of the biggest obstacles you will face to buy on one more place. Yeah. And that's, that's obviously incredibly valuable. I, I mean, just looking here at Ontario, cause I know, I'm not sure how familiar you are with, with yep. Ontario. Quite, yep. um, yeah. So obviously the areas that you're talking about with the bidding wars are really around where I, I live, you know, I'm in the, the greater Toronto area, I'm in Burlington. So Hamilton's doing that. Uh, you know, you're still getting stuff uh, that's, I wouldn't say they're, they're in bidding wars, but it's been going up and going up progressively. Um, London, Ontario, which was sort of my playground for, for many, many years, just went up so much that I had the feelings like you were saying, you know, just, yeah, I'm kind of good. I don't really want to get into that game of, of paying too much for, for real estate. Um, so I've kind of cooled it a little bit on that. Looking at other markets, I've identified some good yep. ones um, that I just, they're just underpriced compared to everything yep. else. And there's good cash flow in those markets. Yeah, so, I have, my coaching clients are buying in Sarnia, Sudbury, Thunder Bay's, those kind of places and they're just crushing. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's obviously like great, uh, great cash flow. Yeah, I've had two guests up from um, uh, North Bay, I think, sorry, Sudbury and uh, and Timmins areas. Like great cash flow up in those markets. Um, I personally, I still think there's some good uh, good uh, value to be had down in the uh, Niagara Falls uh, direction, uh, getting into Welland, Fort Erie, and then of course going up towards Owen Sound and, and things like that. Those are markets where I just think compared to where they're located, um, still seem to be an opportunity. Well, here's the question that I ask people, and, and some people have been able to give me good answers and some people have not. Um, my, and this isn't a concern, this is just a question I ask, is of those markets, is it underlying economic fundamentals that are driving it, or is it just people being priced out of Toronto and speculators moving their money further out of the GTA? I, so, I think it's it's the latter. It's, yeah. it's people, it's people wanting to see their dollar go further. And that's why they choose those markets. But one, one's a little bit more sustainable than the other. Now, and one I've seen that, is. I've seen that, like, for yeah. example, you know, go back to Alberta. I've seen markets that had, you know, Grand Prairies, Peace Rivers, those markets where it was speculators and they were driving up the prices on things mm-hmm. and it didn't have the big enough economic base to sustain a downturn at the same time. So just just yep. be mindful. But the good news is if you're buying it at good enough prices and the rents are there and you got the cash flow, you can absorb any ups and downs. Right. If you've got a good margin of cash flow, yeah. right? So, I mean, you're, you're used to obviously uh, investing in, I wouldn't call it a one trick pony, but uh, it's, 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 uh, heavily reliant on oil and gas uh, energy, as you said. Um, so I look at some of these other markets and I think if I can get there early enough with a good enough spread, um, these have been long, slow, boring markets. Uh, boring is okay. I can yep. buy into the boring part as long as there's cash flow. Um, that's okay to me. Like London, I loved. I was spoiled in London because it's so economically diverse, has everything, education, healthcare, multiple corporate head offices, construction, agriculture, yep. all surrounding it. It's it had to be self-sustaining because it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. It's it's just on the 401, but it's not really near anything. So uh, whereas you look at cities like Burlington, it relies as a bedroom on a community to Toronto. And uh, a lot of people are commuting commuting one direction or another. So, um, I love that. And I think, you know, Toronto's a very diverse economic hub. It will rebound, but I think, as you've said, it's, it's just been so inflated for so long that I feel there needs to be at least some sort of a correction, not a crystal ball. I don't have one, but, uh, yeah. that's just my feeling. Well, and, and my crystal, without cash flow, I'm not there. <laughs> my crystal ball broke about eight years ago. So yes, I've, threw I've, it away. <laughs> I, all I do is I just share, I share yeah. what I've seen through my lenses. And that's yeah. it. And some other people may have completely different lenses. And that's okay. I'm I'm mm-hmm. totally fine either way. Yeah. Right. Well, what we'll, we'll all be wrong at one point for speculating, right? So the only thing we can do is invest on fundamentals, and yeah. fundamentals mean we have to have good, strong cash flow. Yeah. Because to speculate on your market going up and up, you don't know. I don't know. None of us know. Like anyone who says they know, like you said, they're speculating, and yeah. there's just no there's no point. No. Awesome. Um, changing gears. So did I hear that people call you the JV Jedi? Is that, is that right? Or do I have that slightly off? Well, interesting. Uh, well, good uh, mutual friend of ours, Irwin, Irwin Zito, coined yeah. that name for me a little while ago, quite a while ago now, probably better part of a decade. And, and it was, you know, it stuck for a long time. And, and interesting to note is I'm, I'm actually re trying to rebrand myself a little bit away from that because um, maybe I've been typecast a little bit into some people just think that all you know, Russell is joint ventures um, where I actually, I have a lot more to offer and a lot more depth than just understanding how to do a joint venture. Now, don't get me wrong. 
Um, raising capital is the biggest obstacle people will face, and I have resources <laughs> coming out the wazoo to help people overcome the biggest obstacle, and that's where you find the capital. But I've been rebranding myself and coming at it from a different, is I have a lot more to offer than just joint ventures. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost like, um, you know, I'm, I'm becoming my own leading man in, the, in, in, in state as opposed to the supporting actor. And, and let me share a story with you here for a second. And so we have our own fears and insecurities and we have our own, you know, tall poppy syndrome was stepping up. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been teaching it for better part of 17 years. I've been, I've delivered over 900 public presentations on this topic of real estate. Um, I've been now venturing down into the States and some people have been, you know, some avenues have been opened up for me doing some training and teaching into the States. And I sat there and I was going, I go, oh my goodness, what are they, what will they learn from me? I'm just a simple farm boy from Saskatchewan. I don't know what I can teach these guys. This is the U.S., right? These people, they have all these big groups down there. And so I've been on a couple podcasts and a few things down there. And I taught just fundamentals, like the simplest things that, that literally I learned 17 years ago, like simplest things. And some of the hosts and the people doing, they go, oh my goodness, that's revolutionary. Where have you been hiding all these years? And I'm just in there going, I go, sometimes we're our own worst enemy and it's our own insecurities that will stop us from keep moving forward. And I think we have, we all have something to share with others. And I've been doing it for 20 years, like I said, and i am got a bigger audience that I need to tap into. And you know what? I'm, I'm willing to do the work. So That's awesome. Um, so as far as your portfolio right now, are you... Um, are you primarily with joint ventures or is it a mix of stuff you've done on your own and, and joint venture stuff as well? Both. So, so it's so just a mix of everything. The simplest strategy for my portfolio is I'm, I'm repositioning my old into new. And the other strategies I'm doing is I'm actually maybe in my age group that I'm now at, I'm actually have an executionable a, a plan that I'm paying off all my mortgages. And I actually have within five to 10 years, I want to be free and clear of my, all my prop, all my mortgages and all my properties. And it's just for some yeah. of you, you, this is one of the most contentious thing that people will argue with me and say, well, why would you pay off all your mortgages? I go, I go, when you get to be my age, you can, we'll have a different conversation. I know you're 30 and that's okay. You're in acquisition mode by all means, lever, 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 buy, acquire, acquire, acquire. When you, there comes a time when you have to pay all that money back. Okay. And the difference between somebody who has a free and clear portfolio and somebody who's levered up to 90% is one sleeps a little better at night. Absolutely. Having, having that lower loan to value. And I know like leverage is obviously the name of the game when you're growing, but uh, having that buffer helps you absorb and not go underwater. And, and also um, usually if you're in that situation, your, your rents are such that your cash flows a bit better as well. Absolutely. And then you can actually start enjoying the life. So, so I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm in a, I'm in a cycle right now where I'm working probably harder than I ever have. Um, Mm -hmm. If any of you follow me on Instagram, you know what time I get up in the morning because you I post it every day on my stories or sorry, five days a week. I actually give you guys a break on the weekends when I get up, but I'm working harder than I ever have. And I'm enjoying my work more than ever. I enjoy the properties that I'm 
buying. I enjoy the businesses that I'm looking to do. Like a business partner and I were looking to maybe put together a property management company, adding some additional services. And what I'm really enjoying the most is in the, the business of helping others because I've been blessed with all this experience, all these mentors, all this wisdom that I've had over all these years, that it would be a shame if I did not share that with the next generation of people that are coming into real estate, because there is a lot, you know, there's lots of information. I think there's, there's not a lot of true wisdom and leadership that is being provided out there. And I think there's an entire new generation that needs that uh, leadership. And that's what I want to Leader, do. Leadership in this field? And within the context of real estate, yes. Yeah. You know, I think you've probably seen it too, but, um, you know, something about the, I like how things have changed, right? It's a much more giving environment. Um, back when I started, it was all run to the back of the room and sign up for the, uh, and then sign up. And then, you know, um, I never liked that that much. No, I mean, no judgment. That just didn't really, uh, wasn't really something that I loved. And now I feel like there's just, like you said, there's this like, the resources available now, uh, people just kind of giving away what they, what they have, like all the people who come on to this podcast, such as yourself, that are just giving it away, which is amazing. Um, truly to somebody that's willing to do the work and actually consume it and, and implement it. Um, you know, it's all laid out. Now, I know I, I, I sit there and I, I chuckle quite often that people, like I just launched my podcast this, geez, it's been two months. Um, okay. And the amount of work that it takes and everybody's going, oh, yes, you're just in the land of podcast and riches. No, it, it, there's a lot of time and effort. Like I truly was 11 o'clock last night. I was working on EQ curves and I'm sitting there going, I go, is this the best use of my time when I should be probably sleeping? Um, yeah. But it's I, I it's just another way of giving back and helping. And and I think that the name of the game is distribution of your message. Okay, you can have all the greatest ideas and you can have all the wisdom, you can have all the experience. If you don't dis distribute your message to a wide enough audience, you know, you're the best kept secret that nobody knows about. Right. right? And I know a lot of investors that have that have been around as long as I have in 20 plus years. And a lot of them are coming to me for some coaching as well as how do I now share my message? I've been so private and one on ones. Yeah. How do I turn a video camera on? How do I do a recording? How do I do a Facebook live? And I'm, I'm actually sharing a lot of those uh, strategies with real estate investors on how to distribute your message to no longer be the best kept secret around. That was me before I, uh, I really never started sharing anything completely hid 100% until pretty much the end of 2018. Mm -hmm. Didn't, didn't share with anybody. And then got into the podcast about four months after getting onto Instagram. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely something if you want to grow and build your network and, and, and get around like-minded people, you got to get out there, I think. Well, and you just um, have to understand what your lane is too. Like eventually yeah. there comes a time and, and I'm, I'm very blessed that I have an amazing business partner that, um, is my number one property source, but he's also a, a, a very detailed operations guy that takes care of a lot of that, that I can go out on these podcasts and presentations and create education programs and inspire people to keep moving forward. But I got an amazing mm -hmm. operations person that I can lean on to help out with that. And I also have an amazing outsource team with my accountants and my property managers. I have to outsource almost all those tasks so I can actually free up my time to be able to do podcasting and videos and Facebook lives and webinars and all that kind of stuff. That makes sense. Uh, do you have a lot of your own employees that work for your organization or are they outsourced, as you said, to separate companies? Everybody's, everybody's outsourced. 
at this time, I'm looking to bring a few more in-house. Um, I hired my my 17 year old daughter this year to to take care of my Instagram game and and up that. And she's already nice. she's doing yeah. the 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 graphic images and posting things. And I'm just like, holy moly! She she just she does it all on her phone and just whips whips by me at lightning speed. And she's telling me what to do. And you know, Russell, we can't do that. You can't post that story there. <laughs> so it's we're having lots of fun. We're having lots of fun. Uh, it's it's good to have help with that. that that stuff. Um, that's, that's, you know, one of my hurdles that's, uh, you know, I want to, I want to bring on more help for that kind of thing. Um, just somebody to basically be my shadow and follow me around and help me with everything no, <laughs> all the time. Well, interesting to note. That's one of the biggest things that I, I, um, do a lot of my coaching with is getting a lot of my clients and students to how to scale this, how to add less of you to the process, mm-hmm. but still grow and scale your, scale your right. business. Cause there's certain things I know where I'm the highest value add, right? Like dealing, um, dealing with the finding deals, um, coaching people, um, interviewing people doing this kind of stuff. I think those are my highest value adds. And then the other stuff, there's things that I'm good at, but I shouldn't be doing yeah. because, and there's things that I'm bad at and I shouldn't be doing. So there's a bunch of stuff I have to put into a category of get rid of, yeah. get somebody else to, well, uh, to do that for me. Fun, fun story. I was just working with one of my clients last week and and we were just, I was asking them the question is, you know, I'm just not seeing the fire anymore. Like what is your next summit? What do you want to take on next? Cause he accomplished this major hurdle and he did it. Then he took some time off. Awesome. And I'm going, what's next? Then he goes, well, you know what? I still want to keep acquiring properties. Well, I, I agree, but what's stopping you? And the two things that are stopping him is his renovation team and his property management system are the two things that are stopping him from adding more properties to his portfolio. I said, let's just put this into context. The last property that you bought, bought it under market value by the time he does the burr and fixes it up, it's probably about $100,000 equity to him. I said, how many mm-hmm. hours did that take you to do? About 15 I go, so you made $100,000 in 15 hours of work. What's stopping you now from getting there? He goes, and then he goes, okay, I got it. Like it was something like $6,000 an hour. I got to get my calculator out here to, to do the math. I said, so that is the cost of you doing your own renovations and your own property management is you're sacrificing a $6,600 an hour task. And he goes, yeah. point taken. So then we're now in the process of putting the feelers out and hiring the contractors, hiring the people. You know, nobody will do it as good as he will, but he doesn't have to do it, right? Yeah, that's where, where I'm at. You know, one of the biggest challenges is that uh, I'm very particular yeah. and uh, we'll have to loosen the grip a little bit. But uh, I think everybody goes through that at some point and you just, you, you proceed. Um, but not to get distracted here, I did want to just go through like one quick case study, if we could, what's a good deal you've done recently, if, if it's a burr or if it's even just a buy and, and a hold or a flip or something you would, you know, comes to your mind real, real easily that you wouldn't mind sharing. Well, one of the things that I, I like to do is I, I invest in brand new construction suite of properties. Okay. okay. So the, the last ones we would have bought um, were $460,000. Um, that's so that's a suited units. That's completed. That that includes all landscaping, all taxes, all fencing, all window yeah. roller shades. That includes everything done. Okay. And um, what's that rent for? It rents for the up and down together plus utility about thirty three fifty. Okay. Okay. And uh, just figure like what I like get three percent vacancy rate out there. Well, it hasn't been vacant. And the, so, so far, but it will, you know, we factor in like three or four, we, we do factor in, but here's the cool thing is 
it's under warranty. Any new, any maintenance issues typically goes to yeah. the builder. After one year, the builder will walk through and they'll touch up every paint and they'll fix everything. It's under warranty. And the really cool thing when you do new construction, especially if you do it from the build phase, is you can make some small changes that you can't do if you were doing like, a say, a burr. Like, here's an example. Yeah. We chose to take, it's a detached, it's a suited house with a detached garage. We chose to take the detached garage and move it a little bit closer to the house, okay? Which made a little bit less yard for the tenants to have to maintain. But the most important thing was it made a longer apron for parking, Okay. So now we can have two cars in the garage, two cars on the apron, and two cars in front. We now have parking for six, right? Nice. And because we did that on the design phase, we now added two more parking spots as opposed to what we could get before, okay? Another thing is, you know, we'll do like composite decking, aluminum railing. We'll do those kind of things because they have no maintenance, right? And the less maintenance issues I have, the happier I sleep with things like that. Yeah, I agree with you there 100%. So we actually um, design it up front to do that. You know, just small things like we'll put in, you know, uh, on-demand hot water as opposed to a tank, tank, a water, tank, right? Because then you can shrink your utility room and you can actually put more square footage into your suite. So yeah, that's, that is the reason to do that too. Some people think it's for efficiency. The efficiency is not really that much more. No, but, it's, uh, it's the actually, room, you can the, shrink the your utility room to give more yeah. rental space. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what were your, what were your taxes be there? Uh, taxes on those, they're roughly around 300 bucks. Maybe, oh, no, sorry, 208. I think it was 208, $208 so cool. a month. Okay. And then insurance on something like that, about 1500 yeah, Insurance is ridiculous of late, but um, it's 18, I think it's 1800 per per property. Yeah, I just got smacked with a really ugly renewal. Um, do you pay anything in, what do you budget for maintenance on something like that? Well, like you usually budget like three to five, give or take. Yeah. And then management, are you paying anything for management or is that internal? We pay, um, we pay 9%. 9% and then uh, utilities, you're not paying anything, I'm guessing? That's utilities. Um, so we add utilities to the rent and then we actually make a little bit of money. We make about 150 bucks a month off the utilities. Give or take. Okay, so thirty-three fifty included utilities, including utilities. So utilities okay, so are utilities averaging actually? about, about three hundred bucks a month. Equals three hundred times twelve, and then um, landscaping. Do you pay for that, or do they handle it? It tenant handles it. Um, you know, in theory, the tenant should handle it. At the same time, if yeah. if they don't, we will have the conversation with them. If we have to do it for them, we'll potentially bill it back to them. Okay. So we'll, we'll assume that they do it. Yep. And, uh, okay. So if you were to, if you were to buy that 20% down payment, 30 year amortization, uh, what, what interest rates are you getting right now? Around 2%? Yeah. We last one we got was 2.19. So 2.2 call it. Um, so that unit there you just described would be a, about a $685 yeah. a month cash flow. Yeah. So I, I factor in about, they're about 450 when we bought it at the time, interest rates have mm -hmm. changed. Now here's the good news is my joint venture partner financed it with a line of credit. So his entire line okay. of credit is also covered too. 100% finance and we still have a positive cash flow property. So if you're doing that, that joint venture deal, um, your partner brings in the cash, goes on the mortgage and you just make sure that they, they cover their line of credit payment, they cover the mortgage. And then where does the rest of the money just go into account to build up? Yep. And, and then yeah. what we do is at the end of each year, we just make decisions on what we're going to do with, if there's surplus cash flow. 
Okay. Do you have uh, what, uh, you know, a, an amount of money that you, you strive to have in every, every account um, just to cover what ifs and things that come up? Yeah, we've, we've increased that number. And usually it's, it's anywhere between it's right now. I think we increased it. It's 10 grand typically per property. 10 grand. Yeah. And, and then what we do at the end of the year is whatever's above 10 grand. We have the availability to split that if we want to. Right? Okay. And, or if it's below 10, then we have to contribute. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, yeah, for me, like you talk about sleeping at night, I like to have a huge buffer in them just in case. Cause you never know when you get a call about a roof or whatever, and, or a sewer that you got to dig up sanitary connection. So, um, I probably am overkill, but I just prefer liquidity just cause it helps me sleep better. Yep. But, uh, okay. Um, so that was cool. I just wanted to show like a, a little bit of a case study to give people an idea of what you're seeing in Edmonton. And so that, that deal would work right now. You could do something like that right now. I I'm actually looking at six of them in a row. In one, okay. on one block. And, and the really interesting model that I really like is actually a garage suite model, which essentially it's the same house, but it's uh, the, the suite is above the garage in the back and you can actually get a two bedroom, really nice suite, two bedroom above the garage in the back. It's a little bit more money, but you get significantly more rent. Okay. So when you separate it, people will pay more. People pay more. You get, you get the tenant on the house they like mm-hmm. it because they have the whole house to themselves. Yeah. And yeah, that the makes ten- sense. And then when, when Airbnb was popular or more popular, you could actually short-term rent the garage suites as well. Wow. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So it was de- uh, completely well, it's cool detached. Hear, it's cool to hear. It's still growing out there. I, I wasn't, I uh, wasn't sure that was happening. So now, I, uh, now I hope it I keeps say, going for you. When I say growth. When, Marginally. When people, <laughs> We're, 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 uh, we're, we're splitting hairs here and I don't have a lot to split. So yeah. for those who are, who are listening and not watching, uh, Russell's holding up his fingers, a very, very small, uh, growth, but Hey, that's, that's better than, uh, than shrinking. So, uh, Russell, it's been awesome. Um, any words of wisdom that you'd like to leave people with who are trying to take it to the next level? We got a lot of investors that, uh, have established themselves. They've got a few rental properties and I'm sure they're trying to grow more. Uh, what, what would you uh, say to them to help them take it to the next level? Well, you know, I'm going to end off with, um, I'm going to end off with the following. And it's going to be a little bit of a, a story and a little bit of inspiration. Now, for those of you listening to the podcast, you will not see that I'm wearing a shirt that says Aloha on it. And Aloha is, you know, one of my favorite places to go to is Hawaii. And that's where my wife and I were married. We were married in Maui on the beach there. And um, the, the analogy I'm going to share with everybody of a little inspiration is, is, I call it the surfer analogy. So number one is if you wanted to learn how to surf, the first thing you need to do is you need to get your board in the water. You really do. You can't, you can't stand on the sideline and, and start surfing. You actually have to get in the water. You have to get in there and you have to paddle out into the surf. Now, the next thing you have to do, which is the most important step, is that you actually have to point your surfboard to where you want to go, your goal, right? Where you want to get to. And then you got to, when you start looking over your shoulder and you start seeing the waves coming and the waves start forming, when a wave starts coming, you need to start kicking like heck. You need to kick and paddle and paddle and paddle. You need to take action. You need to execute against your plan. And once you get up to a velocity, then you can start riding that wave towards your goal and your, and your, on your surfboard. So here's the inspiration I'm going to share with everybody is if you're on the sidelines right now and your board isn't even in the water, You might want to start at least getting the board into the water, pointing it to the direction that you want to go. But the most important thing is you need to kick like heck when you catch 
the wave and you will enjoy all the benefits if you ride that wave right to the shore. So, and then that's the, then the last thing I want to share is, you know, is how I end off a lot of my conversations is, is always make people feel inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love when you are doing every encounter with another human being. That's really good wisdom right now, especially when the world is uh, very crazy uh, these days. Well, that's, so how I, I, that's how I judge at the end of the day yeah. if I actually made a difference is did I inspire mm-hmm. somebody? Did I encourage somebody? And did I always come from a place of love? And that's how I will judge my day at the end of the day. Yeah. Well put. Well put. Okay. So if people wanted to uh, to reach out to you or follow you, where should we send them? Uh, the easiest place would be just russellwestcott.com. Everything. I think all my social media channels, everything is just my name. Um, mm-hmm. The hub of everything is, is the, the main website. And uh, and if we had more time, I could share a fun story about, about a, a website. But I think everybody needs to have a good digital presence. Now more than ever, if you don't have either a good website or you don't have a good social media presence, you're going to be left in the dust with things. So by all means, if you want to, um, this may sound like a flex or I'm uh, tooting my own horn, I probably have one of the best websites out there. If you wanted to go check it out about what it's about, it took a lot of time. Now, I never saw the backside of a website until about three years ago. So I had no idea even what a website and how to create one. And I had a mentor of mine, I was sitting with a mentor of mine. I was sitting there going, I was, you know, almost like bragging a bit about here's what I've done and here's what I've done. And I've done that with auto, auto, all without a website. <laughs> and my mentor, my coach said, he goes, yeah, just imagine what you would have done if you had one. <laughs> Point taken. So then I learned how to do it. And I, you know, I'm very proud of that home base and that website. And I would say it's probably one of the best that you will see in this space within the Canadian real estate investors. Well, I'm going to have to go check that out. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll put all that in the, in the show notes and uh, make sure people have access to them. I'll probably, I'll probably put uh, your, uh, your social handles in there too, just in case they want to follow. Um, that's really great. I really appreciate it. Um, Russell, thanks so much. And uh, I'm glad we finally met. So now we can, uh, now we can stay in touch. Yeah, anytime brother. Sounds great. Thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Russell. Okay. Bye for now, guys. All right, gang. So what did you think? Uh, You know, sometimes I'm very, you know, not guarded. Uh, This the best way to put it would be um, sometimes I'm hesitant about sharing, you know, some of the downsides on on real estate from a standpoint of a couple things is number one is don't get me wrong. um, When I do share those downsides, sometimes people go, well, geez, you sounds like you're really negative on real estate. No, 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 no. If I was negative on real estate, you would not be listening to this podcast right now Um, because there have been some things that have been thrown my way that if I didn't have the intestinal fortitude to stick it out, I would have packed it in a long time. And to be honest, you know, I've been doing this for almost like 20 years. And some days I still question if I, a couple things, if I have what it takes and if it's really makes sense, if this is really um, what I want to be doing. Like I do have those questions, no different than you. If you're listening to this, I bet if you've been in in the game for a long time, you will have the same questions. But here's the thing that I keep coming back to is the challenges, is the struggle, are the heartaches, is it worth it? That's what I keep coming back to. And the answer is 100% yes. 
the challenges, the struggles, the things we have to overcome is 100% worth the time and effort and work. And really, you need to get down to is you need to have a purpose. Really, it comes down to having an incredible purpose, something bigger than yourself, something grander than just buying a property, something grander than just making money, something grander than that. Um, That's the question I'd ask you is, do you have a grand purpose of why you're doing this? You know, I imagine it might be just freedom. It might be some, you know, relationship freedom, location freedom, time freedom, money freedom, all those kind of freedoms. That's probably what you have. But I have a feeling after that level of freedom, there will come down a point where you will have some kind of giving back that you want to inspire a new generation. You want to inspire others. You want to help other people succeed. You want to invest in other people. It really truly comes down to the most important purpose that you will have will be to give and help and inspire others on their journey towards being successful in real estate. And that is why I keep doing that. That's why I'm up late at night recording these podcasts and videos and YouTube. That's why I get up early in the morning to to record them as well, because we have deadlines and we have timelines that we have to get to the team to uh, deliver these on a timely basis to each and every one of you. Um, So that would be the question I would ask you as we end off this podcast is, do you have a purpose? And what is that purpose? Is that purpose compelling? Is that purpose going to keep you up late at night? Will that purpose drive you to get up at five o'clock in the morning? Will that purpose um, keep you pushing through when just something ugly comes your way? That is a question that I'm going to leave you with. Okay, on the final thing I want to end off today with is one more time, Andrew Hines, thank you very much for uh, the opportunity to share on your podcast. If any of you guys are listening to this right now and you have a podcast, whether it's an established one or maybe it's just brand new and you just want to kickstart it, um, let me know if you want me to be a guest on there. I, I would love to and be honored to be able to inspire your audience to take them up to the next level as well. Okay, guys, with all that being said, you know how we end these podcasts. Always, always, always remember in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.